Hey, welcome back to Withrow Brothers Podcast. My name's Cody Withrow. And my name is Jared Withrow. And we are the Withrow Withrow Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Withrow Brothers, yeah. Um, Shout out to Kirby. Yep, Kirby's our sister. And shout out to... I I thought you were about to say Kirby's our savior. (laughs) Kirby funded this whole entire thing. Uh, from the ground up, even though there's been no money that's went into this podcast. Actually, I paid for this mic. So anyway, I really want to have a picture now uh, to anyone who doesn't know Kirby is our sister. Um, Cause she just texts me. She says, thanks for the shout out in the podcast. So I'm like, okay, well now I'm going to shout you out every time. But uh, now I, I really need like a, one of those biblical Virgin Mary pictures, but with Kirby, like holding Eloise. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. Kirby's our, sa- <laughs> Kirby's our savior. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know why that's so funny to me. Man. I know, because it's silly. Yeah. Um, we'll just start it up. Uh, I remember you told me, I don't even know when it was, that you saw Snowpiercer with Chris Evans. Yes. I yeah, I remember you said it was good. I remember thinking, yeah, whatever. Like, I mean, it's a Chris Evans, probably... A, action movie i watched it wow wow i I loved it i was eating it up i thought it was such a good film um man that that movie was incredible yeah like uh yeah really good movie i mean i was i I was like so if you've never seen snowpiercer it's about a train It, it it's a train that keeps on going and it goes all around the world and it's in a post apocalyptic future that we try to solve global warming and then the whole entire world freezes over because we tried, it didn't work out. So it's this train going in this frozen Iceland and Chris Evans, you know, Captain America is the main guy and he's part of the lower class. And it's essentially, without giving you spoilers away, it's just about the lower class getting to the top, uh, to the, to the top to the tip of the train, to the front of the train where the conductor is. Very simple plot, quote unquote. It's a very simple idea, but man, oh man, they go, I mean, you, it is such, I was at the edge of my seat. I yeah, was, it's a, the, the train represents society. And so they, they, they have this train that circumvents the entire world. It takes one year to go around the whole world on this train. So from the, from, the, the back all the way to the front has like the poor people, the lower class, you know, the disenfranchised, just how real life. And then the closer you get to the front is the more affluent, you know, people who have school right. and they're, and they're taught that, you know, like what they're doing is, you know, right. And, and Chris Evans is in the back and he leads a revolution to get to the front just to like put some balance on Shit, my mic. Right? Um, put okay. some some balance on. on. Yeah. Um, in terms of like a, like story wise, there were so many pulls, uh, twists and pulls and dips and. It's a roller coaster. I mean, you actually kind of feel like you're on the train, how it's kind of rickety 
and you're on this bumpy ride and you're and you're bumping along and there were so many things in the film that happened that i didn't even see coming i was like oh wow whoa whoa. oh wait a second oh and so by the time it ended i felt like it was um i feel like it was a treat i mean i feel like i was like felt grateful to walk to see it to see a piece of art that made me so entranced in it so yeah it's it's definitely a very i don't know if ironic is the right word probably the wrong word because i'm not not smart at, at picking correct words but uh it's it's funny to see how you know poor people want to overthrow the rich people or the rich people right. want to keep the poor people poor when when the whole world is frozen it's like and they, and it shows you kind of like what's going on today we're like we're so busy fighting over rich poor white versus black just to just to generalize things we're so caught up in fighting each other that like we're not even noticing the ship going over the waterfall you know we're like oh i want to control the ship oh i want to control the ship and it's like man this is doomed to begin with like global warming is real things are actually increasing the planet does face actual things that go beyond our discrepancies and it's and how we get so caught up in the microcosm that we forget yeah. about the macro you know because we're the micro to us is so real you know class is so real to us it, it is a real thing but you know what we fight over when we people who are control or want control it's like there's control of what yeah you know yeah, but yeah it was yeah it was a great movie not one of my favorites, but a quote that I like is uh, if you see two people arguing and you're like a mile away, you can't tell the difference between who and who is who, who's right. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I think yeah. Jay-Z said that. Jay-Z. I don't think he's. Oh. <laughs> no, I know. But I, no, I, got, I, got I remember Jay-Z hearing right. that, that, that quote. From. But. Yeah. Do you, know what al- do you remember what album? Oh, yeah. there you um, go. I just been really interested. I'm so me and Julia, my partner, were watching uh, the Patriot today, and I've been really just kind of interested in like, and I'm you know I'm I've been writing I'm like writing a script on like revolutionary stuff like that topic of like coming of an age. I've been I never really cared about it, but I've been actually getting really interested in history and. Uh, like just uh, America history and like world history of us coming together and the war and it's uh it's all it's it's just all so at the very least just interesting it's just it's just good stories but um but I, I hear what you're saying though we do uh it's part of humanity we get so wrapped up in our survival we forget because we're just so encumbered with wanting to survive so but yeah Snowpiercer check it out if you it's on Netflix. You can see it. Um, so we were going to talk about movies, and did you want to start yours? Yeah, because I feel like I wouldn't be able to listen well if I don't blabber about my movies. So you asked me who my favorite director was and what my favorite movie was. Now, as I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, that list changes so much. The director list has always stayed the same. So let me go into um, my favorite movie first because they're not the same thing. So my favorite movie right now. Um, oh man, damn it! It's, it's a okay. tie. Shit, I should have. Oh, 
you know, um, let me do, should I, should I talk about a movie that has helped me spiritually or should I, should I talk about yeah. a movie know, that was like, like a really awesome movie to experience? We didn't really actually specify it. So what I would like is the most, what is the most well-rounded movie? I know that everyone's like, I can't just pick one, but try to find one, the most well-rounded movie that was entertaining, had a meaning to it. Uh, every, I mean, everything. Directing was good. Acting was good. Story was good. It actually impacted you. Uh, Okay, so let, let me say this first of all. I was going to say Mandy with Nicolas Cage, Panos Cosmatos directed it. Amazing movie. But okay. I really got to say that A Monster Calls is, um, I'll pick A, a Monster Calls. That has uh, um, voice, voice acting by Liam Neeson. It's got Sigoni Weaver. And uh, who was the girl from A Rogue One? Kira, not Kira Knightley. That's that's the girl from Pirates. I feel like there's always this British actress that comes out every few years. That's like, like you know, Daisy Ridley or Daisy Scott. I don't know what her name is. And then Kira Knightley. It says, it's always um, some like I just Sigourney Weaver. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, Felicity Jones. Felicity Jones. That's her. That's the girl from oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Star Stuff. That's from um, A Rogue One. So, a monster calls is about this mom who is slowly slash fastly dying of cancer. She's a single mom. Uh, she has a son who's probably about like in the fifth grade, sixth grade, maybe uh, Sigourney Weaver is her mom. So she plays the grandmother and the husband or the kid's dad lives in America. And it's about this kid who is coming to grips with the fact that his mom is dying and he one night um a tree off in the distance outside of his window comes alive and it turns into this tree monster voiced by Liam Neeson and comes to his window and tells him uh you know you're I'm gonna tell you three stories and then on the fourth after the after the third story you're gonna have to tell me a story and at first, the kid's all afraid and stuff, but then, like, you know, he slowly starts to trust the monster because the monster is is is, um, is an altruistic being. He's not he's not mean. He looks scary, but he's not. This kid has a lot of nightmares about, um, like, falling into the earth. Uh, and so the monster... Do I, um, do I give I away think, the movie? I or, or? I think let people... Okay, yeah, because... Okay, so, yeah, I, I don't want to. So... Um, uh, the monster tells this kid three stories that show that good, bad, right, or wrong are sometimes blurred lines and that life is all about duality and conflicting nature. And I kind of have to leave it at there because I don't want to say anything too much because I don't want to ruin it or set it up so much, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, ruin it to, a, to an extent or like give anyone expectations. But the reason why it impacted me, um, was we don't talk a lot about death and grief to I, I think a lot in, in, in Western culture and American culture. If you look at all the other spiritual cultures around the earth, they have a very strong um, uh, brave, um, intimate relationship, an honest relationship with death and getting older. 
And it's kind of like the thing that we're all working towards. But here in America, death is, is always, you know, about decay and about loss and about all these other things that, that don't jive with what death actually is, which is a rebirth, which is a, a release of the self, or at least a, a relief of the, of the constructed self. And so uh, this movie talks about grieving and it talks about being okay that you're angry while you're grieving. It talks about, you know, it's okay to be happy in your life while something terrible is going on. You know, this kid is faced with this dilemma. My mom's dying. Like, you know, when you go through something, I think when you're young, you know, you feel guilty of like, you know, am I, can I feel like, am I allowed to be happy? Am I allowed to go kick the ball around while my mom is dying on her bedside, you know, and, and that life doesn't stop, but it doesn't have to be this tragic thing. So I, I really like the way that it tackles grief. Um, and and then from the acting performances, I mean, everyone does such a great job. And then just from like the way it was shot, yeah. the colors. I mean, it's such a beautiful, warm movie. And there's a great saying I, I learned from the movie. Uh, the dad comes over to, to London to come see his son because he knows his, you know, his his ex-wife is going to die soon. And so um, his son gets in trouble at school and the dad being, you know, empathetic of what his son's going through, he says, worst things happen at sea. And I, I didn't know, I never heard that phrase, worst things happen at sea, which means that, you know, bad, bad things happen. Like crazy things are, worst things have happened. This isn't the worst thing that has ever been happened, ha- has happened. And that phrase has stuck with me so much, man. Like, I found an amazing song with that title. And then, and I was, like, upset. I wanted to get a tattoo of that of that phrase, but I also realized hmm. that tattoos really just aren't for me. But um, uh, I was actually on the way to the tattoo parlor, and I had, I, I had second, second thoughts, cold feet, and I rode my bike home the other way, and... I literally almost ran in to the actor who said that line. Yeah. And I said, (laughs) you told him worst things happen. I I, I run into him. He's like, what the hell? Worst things happen. I see buddy. Really? Yeah. yeah. In North Hollywood. Random right by the, the, uh, the Marshalls wow. and the uh, the cool. Verizon Wireless store over here in North Hollywood. Yeah, and so that movie, um, you know, and also I'm a crier, you know, I, I cry a lot. And so that movie, man, at, at the end, it's just like, not even at the end, but a few times during that movie, it's just like you just break, I, at least I just break down. And and uh, I, th- I just think it's a beautiful movie about grief and a meditation on loss and how, how do we navigate that? You know, you know, I I feel like if we were to accept more about death here and it was something that we were brought up to understand that, Hey, this is like, you will die. You will pass away one day, you know, but, but it's, that's not the end. It doesn't have to be this morose, you know, thing. Yeah. You know, so I I saw the movie and uh, because um, of you, we watched it and, I would say that I don't think I've ever seen a movie that had death, where death was such a pivotal part of the movie about someone dying. 
don't think I ever saw a movie where when it ended, I felt okay. Like, uh, they take the concept of death and they bring it to the circle of life. And you're right, usually with Hollywood films, especially American films, the concept of death is very, very uh, one-sided. And it's very, um, death, that's it. Person died. And we're going we're gonna to avenge his death. Or, or he died and we have to move on. Very rarely do you get to go back and be okay with it. So when I finished the movie, I, I felt like completed a little bit regarding understanding a little more about passing on. I don't think, I've never said it in a film before, the way they did it. Like in Lion King, they're like, oh, you're part of the circle of life. I'm like, you know, life's gonna go on. Cool, got it. That's not what they did in, in Monster Calls. They really go to, to your soul. Not just death though, but of like being okay as a person going through life. There's a lot of good, like, uh, there's a lot of good dialogue in that film of this little boy's, you know, guardians. The stuff they tell him is, is just like, you you never hear it as a kid what they're saying to him about pretty much it's okay, but on a deeper level. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. People, you know, like they keep on reinforcing to him, like, oh, it's okay. Like, and this isn't a hokey movie. This isn't like a... Yeah, it's not. It's, it's kind of hard to describe. You really Because I remember you were telling me about it, and I remember kind of like, okay, it sounds cool. And, I, and actually before you, another person told me about it. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, this creature visits a kid and helps him out. Cool. But when you see it, you're like, oh. And also the the when he's telling the stories, the uh, the cinematography and the, uh, the graphic design, the animation is impeccable it's amazing when the tree guy tells the stories he's not just it's not just going back to some regular time it's showing more than that uh this animation comes up and everything morphs yeah man it's it it is such a such a unique movie because it is shot a little darker it's not like you know it's not like when the movie ends it's like a like a, a Coldplay song starts playing, you know, and you walk out being like, oh man, like, yeah. You know, you walk out being like, shit, man. But you still feel good because, I mean, it's this, uh, like you said, with like happily ever after things, you know, or, or like death is so one-sided that uh, the, the best way I can put it is is just like seeing that little spark once something extinguishes or, or finding the 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 seed in in the dirt it gets so dark and it's like oh nothing can grow out of this but uh but yeah i think maybe i'm putting too much emphasis on like what i felt i think yeah definitely if you haven't seen it a monster calls um you probably have to to buy it i don't think it's um for rent on amazon or or netflix like it was before so yeah uh yeah 10 out of 10 out of 10 stars I don't know if we're rating them. Yeah, 100 out of 100 stars. We go by this massive scale. Yeah, I'll give oh, it yeah. 567, 283,000 <laughs> out of a possible scale of 629,000. Yeah, it's like, what does that even mean? Is it good? That's funny. The bigger the numbers get, so is it good? Oh, I'll give it 500,000 out of 625,000. So that's good? Well, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not 629,000. But it is like 500,000 stars. 
so we can just I'll just go into my movie and then we'll go into directors. Let's do it. Um, so The Fly is mine, and we've talked about this before. It's Jeff Goldblum, The Fly. It's the remake from the original. Came out in 1986, directed by Cronenberg. And um, there was an original Fly. What's that, guy's, is, what's that guy's full name? Steve Cronenberg? I actually, uh, David Cronenberg. Thank you, David Cronenberg. Um, 1986, it came out. It was a box office success. Uh, it's considered a classic. Got an Academy Award for uh, well, really quick. It is it is eighties in it in its like prime. Was it heyday? Was that would that be the word for it? Like is that heyday? Is like the prime? Oh yeah yeah yeah. That's like when it was really kicking. Oh man, like the uh, so eighties was real obviously really big on makeup, and you had a whole string of different movies. Uh, where makeup and like uh, special effects and it was all practical no computer graphics really you know like et you know so the fly jeff goldblum with you know no spoilers but he uh, is a scientist and he makes a teleportation device he meets gina davis and he says to her i'm going to change the world and she goes well everyone says that he goes no i'm actually going to do it and he shows her a transportation device that looks pretty maniacal right when you see it. If you're a regular person and you meet a scientist and he brings you back to the apartment and he says, I have a teleportation device, fucking leave. Don't trust him. But she stays. And he tells her, I can teleport from here to here, you know. I guess this really isn't a spoiler. I mean, it came out, came out 30 years ago, whatever. He, uh, he teleports and a fly gets inside of the teleportation device and it gets embedded in his DNA. Naturally. What happens when a fly goes into a teleportation device? Naturally. Know? Yeah. Naturally, so. you start turning into that thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it writes itself after a while, you know? So, <laughs> um, he I can, is, I can it, imagine the, the, the guy, like, he just has a few lines. He's like, what happens after this? Well, it writes itself, dude. We just, <laughs> we just set up and we film this stuff. <laughs> we, the, the, screen, the, the script stops after, like, the fifth page. And David Cronenberg's, where's the rest of the film? He goes, oh, dude, after, once we put him in the teleportation device, just film. I mean, just let Jeff Goldman go. And so he's there like, is we're a, really going to turn him into a fly? <laughs> <laughs> like, literally? So in the original Fly movie... Um, which that came out in 1957, uh, something like that. Uh, it was, it was old. Um, it was really, I mean, I don't want to say cheesy. It was, it was for that time, but they have a fly head. It's a it's a regular body with a fly face. And the whole time the guy's wearing this thing over his face. Have you seen it? <laughs> no. Okay. It's. Like once again, it's for its time, but it's a scientist with a thing over its face the whole entire time. And at the end, the woman takes it off, and it's a bug face. Ah, oh my god! So in, the, in 1986, though, what I love about it is it's no hold bars, and I feel I, I feel like this is a fact. It held up so freaking well coming out 30 years ago. When you watch it now, the makeup. So he goes through. DNA slices of a fly and he starts feeling really good and this is why it's my favorite movie of all time this is the reason why I have never felt a visceral transformation as much as I saw the fly 
I, when I was watching it, I felt it in my core, in my bones. I felt the transformation. And I was going, when I was researching the film, there was on one website, it showed uh, the makeup design from, you know, start A to Z. And he, there's so much makeup. They had Academy Award for uh, makeup uh, because of this. He goes through so many transformations. And uh, it was all practical. And David Cronenberg, uh, you know, wanted him to be walking on the walls. So they built a room, right? And they put the room on this, uh, I don't even know, some machine that rotates the room around, right? So you're in a sound state, like you're in a stage and everything. So the room is like on top of this thing. So it's rotating around. So he would, and everything in the room is is like, you know, nothing can nothing can fall. So it looks like he's walking on the ceiling, but it's actually him just walking, just the cameras, you know, they just changed it. But when you see it, it has him walking on the ceiling and it looks, it looks like he's walking on the ceiling, but that the practical effects in it is just remarkable. Um, I always saw it. It wasn't for, it wasn't, it's not a bad addiction, quote unquote, but I always saw it as addiction. Oh, I think it is the most perfect film. And not even just addiction, but just showing humanity lose it. Just, there's a limit to the mind, is what the trailer said. I love, I even love the fly trailer. I was just watching it. There, there is a limit, even to the mind, where your imagination meets your darkest fears. I'm like, ooh, you know. A fly. <laughs> a, a fly. What I like about it, it's um, when he's telling Gina Davis, he's, uh, he says there's... I feel I feel a different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. He's, he's drinking coffee and he goes, I, I, I feel alive. I, I feel kind of like coked out. I, I, I feel amazing. And he's banging on the table and she's like, do you want more sugar? He's like, I already got enough sugar. It's like, it's just like all fucking, it's all crazy. Um, he has a real, I'm, who, if you haven't seen the film, whatever, you know, spoiler alert. Like it's, it's one thing with Monster Calls. It came out a few years ago, but once we're going to the 80s, we can just, just gut the thing open. You know what I'm saying? He has this good line. Spoil away. He has a good line about um, he's losing his mind and he's putting his teeth and his fingernails in a, in the bathroom mirror. And Gina Davis comes over because it's his girlfriend now, naturally. When you're, naturally. When, you're, when you're with a scientist, teleportation, sex gets crazy. You know what I'm saying? So uh, she comes over and he's losing it. And she goes, oh, oh. What, what's going on <laughs> and he goes i, I want to be the first i, I want to be the first insect that has the first politics insect politics she goes well, what are you saying he goes insects don't have politics they kill and i was like oh and i watched it so many times it took me a while but it's like it's like a beautiful monologue about our insects are basic you know they kill eat whatever reproduce that's it and he's like i'm about to become that I'm about to become decimated into instincts, pure instincts. So by the time you get to the ending, uh, it's no longer Jeff Goldblum as an actor. You have a massive fly that is not a fly. It's not your house fly that you see on the fucking wall. It is this massive creature. You know, every, why does every single science fiction creature go, yeah, yeah, they all have like the same like. <laughs> um, 
and they always have like that kind of like low kind of like guttural kind of like after the godzilla roar it's like (laughs) yeah (sighs) um so that's kind of that's kind of the gist of it what did you feel about it the fly uh, I feel that movie very disturbing. Like it's hard for me yeah. to watch. Like, uh, <laughs> it's it's such a great great performance. Um, not one of my favorite of course, movies. Of yeah, yeah. Um, I know. I I do like the part when, uh, when he's like, he's turned into the fly monster, and he's like, he's like something happens, and he's about to die, and he crawls up to Gina Davis, and he and he like, mm. with his fly hand puts the gun against his head which is such a very very funny juxtaposition from like if you were just to like flash forward from when he's like i feel good i'm gonna be the first insect politic and they just flash next scene he's like putting the gun to my head he's like no sorry this didn't work out please kill me yeah because that's funny because that's how how we are you know like one minute we're up like one minute like yeah man i i got the girl of my dreams and my life is now amazing and the next week it's like how are you I don't ever talk to that bitch again, and my life is in a is in shambles. Yeah. And so it's a uh, it, it's a uh, it's cool. It's just um, I I've never really sat there and been like, oh, let me analyze this and and feel this movie. You know. Yeah. Um, so what's in? It's funny though. What's I up? was gonna say? I was I was um, hanging out with a friend. It's like in high school. I was hanging out with a friend, and I think we were smoking weed, probably. Um, or maybe we're waiting, <laughs> waiting to smoke weed or, or whatever. And so I was kind of like, I'm just kind of going through life, you know, like, you know, just figuring everything out. I wasn't, I didn't want to watch the fly. I'm just hanging out with this kid, Brian and Brian where it's like, why? And, and the fly comes down and we watched the whole entire film together. What really makes it interesting is, is I wasn't looking for it. It found me. Mm. I, I really feel that way, you know? Yeah, I, I hear you. I think I think a lot of great movies do yeah. that. Yeah, that's how you know when I went to go see Mandy, uh, which maybe we can talk about next time. But uh, I didn't. I I was like, oh, this movie looks cool. I wasn't like looking for something to like change my perspective. But I'll say more with a Monster Calls that was like that because I had never heard of it. I didn't see a trailer. I didn't see anything. It was just like, oh, this movie looks interesting. I thought it was just gonna be like some movie I was gonna put on and go to right. sleep to. You know. I guess that is the best kind of movie. It's the ones you're not really expecting it. Um, yeah, because your 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 expectations are down, right? You know, and uh, you're not trying to like. I think any time I look for something to save me, it never does. It's always, you know, when I just just There's get into the natural stuff. flow of things. So um, <laughs> that's that's the fly. Here's a little fun. Every, you know, why does every classic film, almost many classic films, have horrible sequels? Fly One was not complete. Do you know what they needed? They needed Fly Mm. Two. They needed Fly Two. And it bombed. It was, it's a horrible movie. And it's with Eric Stoltz. If he didn't mess up Back to the Future, he messed up Fly. The Fly. Did you have you seen the fly tail? Uh, <laughs> Cody, I could barely sit through one, let alone be like, "Oh man, this movie so, was yeah. okay." Oh, they made another well, one. Well, mom bought me the, the mom bought me the fly, and naturally, what comes with shout out yeah, to mom. Thanks, mom. And what what guess what comes with the fly? Fly two. Fly two. <laughs> it's horrible. It's so bad. It was like, why did you guys? It's his son. 
it's his son. It's just funny. Just, um, and it's not. It, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think what happens when people make those sequels to those movies that are not sequelable is the fact that it did so well before. You know, like the fly did so well, and so people they think like, oh, we gotta, we gotta pump another one out. You know, it's like, I I hope to God they don't make Joker too. They probably will, but it's like because of the success they're gonna do another they, one, and it just kind of shows are you. Are they doing what, Joker too? I've heard about that. I don't know for sure. I'm not exactly like the person that anyone tells when they're gonna make a sequel. So, uh, um. But just the fact that they do so well, like Jurassic Park, you know, I don't think that they knew Jurassic Park would do so well or become so iconic. And I think that maybe people have like some kind of idea of like, hey, this this might do pretty well. But you look at Jurassic Park, like the guy, the lead guy is, is Sam, Sam Neill, Sam O'Neill. Mm-hmm. That guy's not exactly like, you know, the like the rock or like a poster boy for like, oh, Sam O'Neill's in this movie. You know, it had very, like, nuanced characters, and then it did so well. They're like, oh, let's pump out Jurassic Park 2 and 3, and then you get to the to the flip side, which is, like, Chris Pratt in Jurassic World, and he's not dimensional. You have, like, this, like, action hero who's just, like, looking off, and, like, he's, like, brooding or pouting looking at the dinosaurs, you know? You're just like, this is this stopped being about what the original was well, about. It wasn't just about dinosaurs. You know, there was so much more going on. Do you know who's direct to an extent directing the newest Jurassic Park, The Kingdom, Lost Kingdom, whatever? Uh Cronenberg? No. The guy who directed who? Monster Calls. I swear no to God. Way. I was as you were talking about Monster Calls, I was kind of like seeing if any facts I could say and I I clicked the director and he's doing the Jurassic Park. Wow! Look at me. I'm talking shit about this guy indirectly. Um, Is that weird? No, no, it's it's bizarre. It's like, how do you Monster Calls? By the way, wasn't a blockbuster at all. Not not that that really matters, but uh, why would you pick him to do the next Jurassic Park? It's kind of it's interesting. Sound like yeah, he directed like you know, Predator (laughs) Four. Well, you know, I was looking at um, uh, like. Jurassic Park versus like Jurassic World and why Jurassic Park was such a better movie. And you have when you have a master like Steven Spielberg, that's not just giving it, you know, like I don't I can't say for sure what these other directors do, but I feel like when you have a, a master behind the lens such as Spielberg is to craft a movie of that size, um the the like how he was framing things and how the scale of the dinosaurs and the humans were like it's just steven spielberg made that movie great that story was okay the story is not great like it's not that great oh we invented dinosaurs and they're on an island you know anyone could like shoot that movie really but it took someone like the eye of spielberg the eye behind the lens to make such a visually crafted movie you know, yeah. like it seemed like every single shot is like purposely done, you know, instead of like these other movies where it's just like, you know, they just like, I don't know. It's just like, it's just no, fodder. I, I hear just what you're saying. Well, I, saw, I forgot. What, <laughs> I forgot. It was one of the newest Jurassic parks and I was with a few friends and there was no one in the theater. And at one point, uh, Chris Pratt's kind of fighting the Raptor, like with his bare hands. And I literally was like, this is stupid. 
and they all laughed and we all laughed and it was just perfect timing and i hear what you're saying it, it dramatically dropped a few levels of storytelling and, and, and just filmmaking because steven spielberg only did the first one and i think spielberg got his so i saw an interview about spielberg he always wanted to do a dinosaur film but he could never do it because he never had a story that connected it which i thought was so cool that it wasn't like oh hey you want to draft you want to direct jurassic park yeah sure he's been wanting a, a dinosaur movie so i feel like he got like his fix with dinosaurs he's like yeah i don't need to do jurassic park too you know i feel like the moment you say you want to do bum bum too if you're like an a an a-list director you're like not really i started it. especially when when movies don't have like it's not like star wars where star wars is like a saga where it's like it was made there's so much yeah, it was made like that there was so much to unwrap that you needed you don't need like they could have not made uh one two three four five six but uh i mean four five and six are good but i mean like seven eight nine one two three like like those are good examples of like dude you don't need to like book in these things but even those stories they needed sequels because there's so much to tell jurassic park there's not a right. story to tell outside of we got away from the fucking dinosaurs sorry i don't mean to cuss i cuss um, I'll, I'll, yeah sorry um uh but yeah but yeah let's just move on to directors All right. Do you want to go first? Well, actually, we're talking first? about Spielberg, so my mind Spielberg. Ooh, a nice segue. Um, segue, segue, yeah. segue just happened. I so, you know, so um, Spielberg is the is the uh, highest grossing director of all time. His films. Dude, uh, this probably goes without saying, but out of all of his films, there's no other director who's you know grossed as much as he has, and um, it, it's kind of unprecedented. And it's kind of like, oh, it's Spielberg. Everyone knows Spielberg. But I, as a, as like a filmmaker, as an independent filmmaker, and as a screenwriter, when I watch Spielberg's films, when I watch E.T., I'm, it's just, they're like, it's like Beatles. It's, it's timeless. There's no time to it. It, it. You could watch E.T. right now, and you would never say, oh, such an 80s film. Like, I love The Fly. It's, an, it's a hardcore 80s film. It looks 80s, feels 80s. Jeff Goldblum's hair is, is, is 80s out, you know? But Spielberg, yeah. he did he he puts pixie dust. And I and I mean this. He puts a, a talent of ticks of pixie dust that is not connected to a methodology of oh yeah, he it's his lighting. Oh no, it's because of the smoke. It is him. It's him. It's what he's doing. He is a child. I watched this whole HBO documentary about him. He is a child at heart. And he and he stayed like that. And he stayed a child. And I and I and when I watch his films, what I love about it is he never um there's never a moment where he takes the story for granted or he takes the fact that you're watching the film for granted. It's like he's still proving himself. The way his stories are, um, it's, it's you know it's hard to even describe it, but there's a magic where we get pulled into a Spielberg film, and we're utterly present. And anything that he puts before us, we believe. The reason why is because he already believed it. And when I'm watching a film, I love films. I watch films all the time. I can feel if the director didn't believe it, or if the screenwriter didn't really believe it. 
I feel like Steven, not like actually Steven Spielberg believes in E.T., but um, just believes in selling the dream. Not even selling the dream, giving you the dream and letting you take it home. And some people are like, here, you can hold the dream. Spielberg's like, no, I'm going to give you the dream all the way, you know. Um, it's kind of, uh, my favorite Spielberg film is, is Hook, hands down. That's a, that's a whole other conversation, but I, I really loved how he did Peter Pan and Robin Williams. Did you know Michael Jackson was going to star in that? Did you know that? No, Michael I Jackson didn't. was going to star in Hook. He didn't like it because Hook, because Peter Pan grew up. He didn't like that. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. He didn't like that. So um, uh, one last thing I'll say, um, and we talked about this, you and I, but not on the podcast, is I don't... There's been few directors who went outside of their style and their tone. You know, uh, he has, uh, like, he's doing West Side Story. That's his next film coming out. Um, he's obviously done, uh, you know, Schindler's List about concentration camps. His, is he, he he's just, uh, there's such masterful strokes of genius from different sides of the board. And Tim Burton, you get Tim Burton every time. It's a Tim Burton film. Every Tim Burton film has weird trees and it has a stroke of uh, a streak of white hair and a black hair and a, and, a, and a, you know, a head full of black hair. He has all of these in all black clothes. But that's one thing I like about Spielberg is his style is a little bit untraceable, but he loves lights. He loves lighting in a way. He does lighting in a way I feel like no director has ever done lighting. He captures uh, heaven, heavenly rays in the most realistic way, you know? Yeah. Tim Burton always, like it's always like Tim Burton. Yeah. You, it, well, well, except, well, you know, I was going to say you, cause you said the weird tree. And I was thinking about big fish, but I was like on the cover of big fish is a weird tree. David Fincher's another one. I mean, these are, I mean, these are amazing. I mean, Tim Burton is, uh, is he's in one, he's in the top 10 list of the highest grossing directors of all time. So uh, whatever he's done, he's done it well. So obviously this is purely creative, but um, you know, uh, you know, Saving Private Ryan, Jaws, E.T. from science fiction to drama to war movies uh, to I don't know if he's done like a, a quote love movie, but um, the older I get, the more I appreciate Spielberg. Not just because he did E.T. and Jaws, but because he did Schindler's List and uh, a, a movie about a slave ship. Almost yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just some movie. Yeah, my, my favorite film by him is uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, have you seen that? I, it, I have, and I, don't, I never really liked it, and I, I'm not really sure why. Yeah, it's a very dad movie. It is a dad movie. Um, it, uh, but, and, I, and, and we were talking about our dad, because I know dad loves that movie, but I saw it the first time I saw it. I was tripping with my girlfriend at the time ashley who we're gonna talk uh, about ex-girlfriends a little bit here. i can't do that i that's my life bro like no matter what we talk about i'm gonna segue into uh, she left me like vanilla sky uh she shot me down um uh what's it called but i was tripping and i watched that movie and man i was i was like completely blown away um i've never really been like like super into spielberg but from like a personal point of view, I've been like, oh man, Spielberg's going to release another movie. Uh, 
but you know, Jaws, um, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, those three movies really shaped our youth. Um, like I wasn't even really into E.T. I've never been like, oh, it's a, you know, great movie. I think maybe when I was younger, I kind of dug it, but I mean, Jaws, Jaws never, never gets old, but Close Encounters of the Third Kind to me was that movie where I was like, wow, this is really great. And also I think in 2017, they re-released it in the theaters. And so, um, or at least out here in LA at a few theaters they did. So I was, I was fortunate to go and actually see Close Encounters of the Third Kind actually in the theater. You know, I actually, um, that's awesome, by the way. It's really cool. So in the theater, um, I was going to say, uh, even though we didn't really, even though we didn't see Jaws come out, I am really grateful that I'm alive when uh, I'm still alive. Spielberg's making films a hundred years from now, God willing, uh, films are still existing and America's still making content. Spielberg's always going to be looked at as oh, one of the greatest. I'm very grateful to be alive when Spielberg was alive and to say that I, I've seen Spielberg's films in theater. You know, there's not many directors you really care about like that, but Spielberg's one of them. The other day it hit me. I'm like, oh, I'm alive when Spielberg is still alive. Because there's going to be a time when they're going to say, the great Spielberg, you know, he's, he'll be dead, you know, naturally. Unless he figures out a way. <laughs> you know, when you were saying um, Close Encounters, it came out. 77, 76. And uh, it came out in, se- and Star Wars came out in 77 too. Was that interesting? Did Close Encounters of Third Kind come out in 77? Yeah, so did. did you know that? Uh, I may be off the top of my, not off the top of my head, but I was aware of that. You just said it. And they're two, they're two very different, uh, very, oh, yeah, two yeah, yeah, very different sci-fi it's just, movies. It's really amazing. They both came out in 77. And actually, the uh, Spielberg talked about they had a bet on which film was going to gross more. And he lost it because Star Wars destroyed it. Star Wars. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, Close Encounters grossed um, three hundred million, and then Star Wars grossed seven hundred million. So yeah, you fuck, you lost. So, that's it with Spielberg. What do you? What about you? So I was gonna man. It's always a toss up, man. It's so hard. Um. Uh. But. I was gonna say Wes Anderson. So I have to give him just a shout out, Wes okay. Anderson. I lo- I love his movies. I love his aesthetic. His you know, um, he has a lot of, um, uh, what's it called? Um, what is it called when there's balance in the shot? Um, a lot of symmetrical. Yeah. There's a lot of symmetry, a lot, a lot of symmetry, which I really, really like. I like things in the, like, you know, I, I just love his symmetry in his movies. They're always set up just like front and center, which is so cool. Um, but I'll have to say someone who impacted me greater is Christopher Nolan. Um, and, and I, um, didn't, uh, cause he did, uh, he did Memento, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, what am I saying? Right. For, sorry, I was, I was getting, uh, him and, um, uh, what's the guy that did I am mother. Oh my God. David, not David Fincher. Uh, oh my Dan Aff. Af- Af- Darren Aronofsky. Sorry, I was getting him confused because I was like pie. But okay, anyway, so 
like I remember seeing Memento in the theater, I think like three or four times. I mean, I was blown away by Memento, man. I mean, that movie was like, you know, I was like teenager and I was really like angsty. And so Memento was like this cool, like heady kind of thriller. And then, you know, then he does Batman, Ooh. which was like, so I'm not really crazy about the Batman movies now as much as I used right. to be. But even still, when those movies came out, they were fucking, I mean, they blew the roof off, man. They were just unlike any other superhero movie. Like, you know, they took Batman like so seriously, even though Tim Burton's Batman's my favorite. But, uh, uh, but it really came to be when Interstellar came out that I was like, I remember seeing the trailer for Interstellar Stellar, and just being like, you know, really excited or, and also very curious of Christopher Nolan made an outer space movie and then seeing Interstellar a few times in the theater. Um, he, like Spielberg, what's up? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I saw Interstellar an IMAX on my birthday. And at the time, oh, I was uh, with a psychiatrist's recommendation. I was getting off a medication I was on, an SSRI, which uh, was for uh, mood or something. And it causes brain zaps where there's a few seconds of your brain where it kind of feels like a tremor. It's nothing crazy, but it, but it, 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 it sucked. I was watching it. I didn't know Interstellar was such a mind trip. I was watching an IMAX and my brain was having these brain zaps. It was, I honestly thought I was going to pass out. It was the most intense movie because I was, because I was going through some stuff and my friend looked at me and he said, at one point he's like, I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to pass out because it was so much. That's funny, man. Yeah, I just remember like being blown oh. away in Interstellar. Just it's just, not like, a movie; it's just experience. Completely f- yeah, exactly. And and I think my favorite because I could just got, dive into so many things about what I like about him. But the biggest thing, and I've told you this before, is about how he manipulates time. <sighs> yeah, he really elongates <sighs> time in his movies. I mean, you look at Dunkirk. Dunkirk is just a, a race, a, a race against the clock kind of movie. And the whole time you're just like in suspense the uh, whole time. Same thing with in- Inception when, well, bro, you know, you okay over there? There's yeah. no director yeah, who's ever the, done what he, exactly what you're talking about. I'm looking at his list from Batman Begins to The Prestige to The Dark Knight to Inception. Prestige. I'm so stupid, bro. That's what I was trying to think of. The Prestige. The Prestige, man, that movie fucking blew me away. Because I remember... Um, watching it with my ex Simone and we went to go to to buy a, a movie and I was going to buy either that or there was a movie called ATL with big boy and TI about roller skating or that had roller skating in it right how can I two tough choices and dude just on a whim I got prestige and remember when I used to live in Seminole Point with Steve Fry yes so you know we took it back to the apartment and we watched the prestige in the living room and I was like, what the fuck, man? I, I, you never think like, I don't really have many regrets in life, but not seeing certain movies in the theater, I will forever be disappointed. Like I didn't see Tron. I didn't see the fountain. I didn't see the prestige. And I just thought, man, I can't believe I missed this movie. But, and then it was cool that it was Christopher Nolan. Cause I had loved Memento so much. And then, um, but yeah, even with, even with uh, um, uh, the Prestige, you know, the Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and now Tenet, uh, which is not out yet, 
but they're all revolving around time and the manipulation of time. And he kind of slows time down to a crawl or to a, to almost undetectable where things that are minute become enormous and things that are enormous become minute. And it's this really cool macro micro cosm world that he really meshes together that. Yes. It, it kind of, it, it's kind of like he has the story and it, I think it's the same thing with Spielberg, but then, you know, because he writes all of his movies, I believe, with his, him and his brother. He does. I that's correct. Looking. At- yeah, and so and so, writing and directing is is way different than having a story being written for you and you going, okay, cool. That's why Spielberg takes these like huge concepts. You know, not I don't want to say like I don't want to just like group him into like one thing, but it's not like that. Christopher Nolan doesn't tackle large things, but his things are so nuanced. Um, where he, he it's like when you write writing them and you're going to film them and so he i think his internal dialogue of of writing and and, and filming are twisted mm-hmm. together totally. you know spielberg and i'm not i'm not taking anything away from spielberg you know spielberg getting like drafts it's a, it's very very interesting to see how their minds work that's what i'm trying to say individually because you know it's like when you write a rap and you make the beat or if you you know uh um, I don't know what, what what else there is. Like, you know, you think of a story and you write it down and then you direct it. It, it comes from a different thing. So it's like he's already dealing, internalizing time on, on that kind of level, but then he's putting it, you know, to film. So he's illuminating the story with the manipulation of time. And that might be a completely wrong assessment, but I just, that's the way no, I, I right. look at it, where he just... You know, what I, so what I was saying about Spielberg is you said Wes Anderson and you said Christopher Nolan. So if you're listening to this, you have no idea what we're talking about. So Wes Anderson has a very, very specific style. So does Christopher Nolan. And if you, and if you watch their films and you're present, you can tell a Christopher Nolan film by the story, the characters. Spielberg is a little different. It's a little more camouflage, but you can kind of tell after a while. But Wes Anderson and Christopher Nolan are undeniable. Their styles, and uh, Christopher Nolan loves to use uh, exactly what you're saying. The same themes. I don't say the same themes, but he plays with kind of like, you know, the human condition and time. But he also does the same actors too. So, um, and if you have no idea, yeah, I love the fact that he works with Michael. Yes, Kane Michael so Caine is huge. Yeah. This is a good, this is another good point. Chris uh, Steven Spielberg doesn't really have a regular guy. Wes Anderson has a whole slew, has a whole barnyard of actors he uses over and over again. But it's completely cool because that's his style, it, and that, it really doesn't really matter as a director what your style is. It's really about are you entertaining us? Are you keeping us? You know, are you keeping us on our toes? Are, you know, so one thing I wanted to say about um, Christopher Nolan is he's a huge success. You have good directors, you have good artistic directors. He is a blockbuster machine. All in the Batman movies were incredible in the box office. Batman, uh, The Dark Knight, with Heath Ledger as a Joker, that grossed over a billion dollars. And he has, uh, I think it's over... Uh... I, I think I think the only reason, not the only reason, but I think one of the biggest reasons why Joaquin's Joker did so well is because Heath Ledger oh, yeah. really... He, 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 like, even, you know, Joaquin even said it. He said, I stand on the shoulders of Heath Ledger because, that, like, Heath Ledger's Joker was, whether you don't like it or not, it's still the, the, 
it was the Joker. It was like, it's like when people say Joker, that's what they think of, you know, unless you're older, but you know, he kind of blew the lid off it, off that realistic, gritty, grimy kind of thing that Christopher Nolan ushered. And yeah, I forgot to preface, if you don't know who Christopher Nolan is, he is an English director. He's done Memento, The Prestige, The Batman Begins, uh, Batman Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Returns, Mm -hmm. Interstellar, Mm -hmm. Inception, Dunkirk. Um, I'm pretty sure, but I I forgot because one thing that we need to do is make sure we're clarifying. Yeah, yeah. We're not just like... Yeah, so... But yeah, I just um like I I really look forward to Tenet coming out. I think that's gonna and it's I think that's gonna be cool because that's one of the first movies that's gonna be out in theaters that everyone's gonna be able to go see. So kind of by default, he's gonna be a a big name again just because of the fact that like, you know, here's a great director coming out with a with a big movie. But um I, yeah, it's just like he also uses a lot of dark, deep blues in his in his movies. I like that. I know a lot of directors do, but his color hue is always just so it lends itself yeah. to the movie. Kind of like how Spielberg did with Schindler's where, you know, even, even the costumes in the set was decorated in a way that if you filmed it in color, it really wouldn't look that good. But since he was filming it in that kind of like almost like sepia black and white, uh, that everything looked good in, in that color and Schindler's list in color would have, you know, Schindler's List feels like an old movie. You know, like, I know that it's set in that time, but it still feels like they made that movie then. And so I think that's what the Christopher Nolan and Spielberg do so greatly. Is like, if you look at Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson, he's awesome. He did Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, The Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. But his movies all look like they come from the same almost same story yeah. in a way not right. knocking him but christopher nolan and spielberg they do a great way of lighting their movies as and even the ambiance and just the performances of this movie was made in that in that time whatever fictional or non-fictional it is you know yeah actually as we're, as we're saying this um christopher nolan is a good blend of not spielberg not literally spielberg and um Wes Anderson, but he he's not so loud with his style that you're like oh, another Christopher Nolan film, but it's there. It's like a it's a yeah. It's not like Michael yeah, Bay or like some you're kind like, of like oh, I know this is I can tell it's a Michael Bay film because everything's blowing up and there's robots everywhere. Michael Bay's film, guess what it is? Robot Apocalypse. Robo Apocalypse. If you didn't know, it's like really Michael Michael Bay. Um, I was look. Do you? Uh, this is this is completely random. Do you remember the Got Milk commercial with the guy from Twister, where he, he's looking for, uh, he's eating a cookie or whatever, and he needs milk. Carrie Hughes, the the bad guy from Twister. No, I forgot his name, but it, it doesn't matter. The 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 commercial the that guy? launched. Yes, the guy who was in like the Doritos commercial and stuff, and like. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the, well, the commercial that, that launched the Got Milk campaign was directed by Michael Bay. <laughs> and that, is that crazy? And this is before Bad Boys came out, but Michael Bay was directing commercials. I was, you talk about like interesting facts. He He's directed the Got Milk commercial before he did Transformers. Like it's just, you had to start somewhere. So he's doing commercials. But um, one thing I wanted to say about Batman Begins, I was, 
uh, I wanted to say about Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger asked Christopher Nolan, he said, can I, uh, with this one scene where I where he, he has a hostage, they tied up and Joker's all like, why are you dressed up like the, why are you dressed up like the Batman? <laughs> you know, he asked Christopher Nolan, he's like, can I direct this scene? And Christopher Nolan's like, I don't know. And then uh, Heath Ledger did a little sample for Christopher Nolan of of being in character as the Joker. And then Christopher Nolan was like, yeah, you can direct it. Go ahead. <laughs> he was, I mean, once he saw Heath Ledger the first time, he was like, you can do whatever you want <laughs> You're good. Yeah, another thing with Spielberg and um and 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 Christopher Nolan and just these two movies come to to mind because they're the two biggest examples. Jurassic Park and Interstellar feel like they have the perfect combination of music and film, which doesn't happen a lot because a lot of soundtracks are very, you know, can't be interchanged. It just kind of seems like random music at sometimes, but Interstellar is one of those great examples of like the music. I mean, uh, like, what did you say? I think you said, I think that's what you said earlier is what you said to me is like, dude, Interstellar is not a movie. That's an experience. Cause even like the, um, the docking scene, like there's a scene in Interstellar when the spaceship is like rotating and they're trying to, to land on a rotating platform. And the music is like, the music is, is I think, a lot louder than what other directors would do because he's, he's really hitting you over the head yeah. with with the idea of the song. And you know that Hans Zimmer started making the music before he saw the movie. Christopher Nolan told him like the idea of what he was looking for, and Hans Zimmer did that. Yeah, and so, I... Uh, I, I... <laughs> I live for these stories of like, you know, Spielberg makes the bet with George Lucas, what film that is making it in my opinion, when you get to talk to, Oh yeah, we talked about the score of the film and Hans Zimmer kind of put a little ditty together. Like just to be at that level where you can call up another heavy hitter and be like, yeah, we're, you know, we're talking about this billion dollar film and the score and everything. Can you do something? Yeah, no problem. You know? Yeah, I think uh, that comes from finding the craft that you resonate with, that you know that you were put here on Earth yeah, to do. Yeah, totally. You know, like, I, I, like, yeah, because, like, I, when, you, when you're in that zone, you know, and also at that level, you know, but I, I just think that it was, like, really beautiful, like, like how music can play such a great part. But I like that, that, that uh, um, Jurassic Park, I mean, not Jurassic Park, I'm sorry, but Spielberg's movies, you know, a Jaws comes to mind too, but um, Spielberg and Nolan do such a great job of marrying their movies with the soundtracks that just makes it an experience. You know, like what would Jaws be without the dun 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 dun? Dude, that's iconic, bro. You could like sneak up on someone and go dun 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 dun, and someone, even if they don't know what you're talking about, they would they would be like, oh, this guy's sneaking up on me, or like, hmm, you know. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. The Jurassic Park oh, melody is like... Oh, nearby. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. You know what? It, yeah, took me, it took me so long to understand. I mean, this it literally took like 30 years when Sam Neill, uh, at the end of Jurassic Park 1, when he's in the helicopter, how funny would it be if... <laughs> if a sea creature just grabbed the helicopter oh, and just hit everyone and winked <laughs> and winked at the camera. <laughs> um, if he's, when he, it looks out the window and he sees birds flying. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I never understood. I'm like, why are we showing birds flying? And I always thought, why aren't they showing pterodactyls flying? Do you know why? <laughs> uh, no. Because the whole entire time, it looks more like a thing. Uh, it looks more like a the beginning when he fights with that kid. He's telling them, I wonder how these guys learn how to fly. Because he sees the um, he sees a vertebrae of a of a uh, velociraptor, velociraptor. Yep, equivalent to a bird. Um, I never understood that. I'm like, oh, we're finally connecting to flying because he's been talking about birds. <laughs> you got your bird. I don't. I I was wondered though. I mean, like it it stays on it for like thirty seconds. These birds at the end of Jurassic Park. It's like, what do you? What is this? Yeah, I like how in the beginning those paleontologists didn't know what he was talking about. He's like, no wonder these guys learn how to fly or whatever. And everyone's like, ha ha ha. It's kind of like, is he the only person there that's like, like, <laughs> passionate or serious? Like, he's like getting mad at the computer. They're like, dude, calm down. He's like. What the fuck, man? It's like a hundred degrees out here. Like, are we digging for bones or are we not? Right. Like, well, I love that whole rock star archaeologist kind of vibe he was giving off. I remember you dressed up like him for Halloween when you were little, and no one, no one knew who you were. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Jurassic Park, if you live in living in a rock for the past lifetime, uh, the the person who stars in Jurassic Park is Alan Grant. And yeah, that's his name, Doctor Doctor Grant. And he has khaki shorts. He has a red bandana, and he has a blue. He doesn't. He doesn't have shorts. He has pants. Oh, okay, so I'm gonna have pants on. He had khakis on, blue buttons. That's what I'm saying because because you had shorts uh, on for your costume, and I, and I had. That's what I was saying. I had a hat and everything, and I had a Velociraptor toy in my pocket, <laughs> and so they're like, "Who are you?" I'm like, "I'm Alan Grant," and I was shown the Velociraptor, and they're like, "Who's Who's Alan Grant?" <laughs> What? It's Alan. What? Someone's like, someone's like, I'm confused. Is your, is your name Alan Grant? Oh, you must be. Or is your dumb. Velociraptor's name? <laughs> right. Or is the or is the Velociraptor's name Alan? Everybody's Grant? like, but yeah, but everybody's uh, mean about it. Oh, you dumb. It's like what? Stop, I'm a little kid. Stop. Alan Grant. Uh, yeah. I think we should uh, wrap yep. it up. Um. So, in a recap, if you haven't seen The Fly or A Monster Calls. Those are our two movie recommendations that we're saying. I, they're actually they're actually not recommendations. I don't care. <laughs> it's not like we're getting some type of. I get like a check in the mail every time someone watches The Fly. I get like a quarter. Like I have this like you know. But uh, so The Fly and The Monster Calls are are two movies that we like. And also, if you have been seeing Interstellar, and if you happen to take some type of hallucinogen, watch out. Because you're not going to be in Kansas. Were they in Kansas? In Interstellar? Ah, uh, man. Wow. Okay, anyways. So, um, yeah. We talked to... This is a really good conversation about movies. Uh, Christopher Nolan, Spielberg, Wes Anderson. Uh, if you've never heard of these people or don't know what they are, check them out. It's classic films. you probably already heard of some of their films. So, I don't know how my life would be but without movies i know it would not be as rich as it is today uh i know that it's given my family something to bond over because i remember movies being the first thing that we all really kind of really did as a family 
you know, we would go to church, but we would, we would go into separate, like, oh, we go to the little church, mom and dad go to big church. But movies was, I think, really something that we all gathered around and all enjoyed doing with each other. So um, if you haven't been feeling life recently, go out and, and, and get some movies and really go and and don't worry about finding the right movie. Just go out and look for any movie and the right movie will find you just how anything else does in life. <laughs> and once again, I appreciate, oh, you laughing at me. No, my, I was saying nice because you said go out. It's like, hey, and if you can't, if you don't live, if you don't live near a video store, I guess, <laughs> I guess like there's no, I guess you go to a red box, but yeah, you can go out, you can go out online too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, man? I was completely like going back to like 1996 here. <laughs> go to your local blockbuster. <laughs> What I meant is go outside of yourself oh. and uh, just look for just just look for some good movies, man. The right movie will find you. Um, yeah, movies are are amazing, even if it's a stupid silly movie. Put on a stupid silly movie. There's nothing wrong with with Bad Boys Three. There's nothing wrong with Happy Feet. There's nothing wrong with just sitting down and enjoying something for what it is. But don't be afraid to open yourself up to receive a little something deeper than what you were waiting for. Mm-hmm which could possibly happen hmm. in Bad Boys 3 or Happy Feet. But uh, once again, on behalf of myself, I just want to thank uh, everyone for listening to this podcast. <laughs> I, don't I thank you, everyone, uh, for tuning in. And this has been a great, great one. We will see you next week. And like we always say, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> I was gonna say we don't have. I was gonna say stay fit, as if I stay fit. <laughs> but uh, be, just be happy and live life to the fullest. We should say, and as we always say, leave a bar flip clap. <laughs> bar flip clap. All right, guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>